Um, in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to open up a Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to be in the sixth chapter. And you can read along with us in just a moment. And I will give you a warning. Uh, I do have a little bit of a cold, and I'm having a little bit of a throat challenge. And so um, those of you that have been around here for a long time, you know that may mean that a little bit later I have a coughing fit. I do that from time to time. And so uh, we'll just pause and make our way through that, and then we'll finish up, hopefully, uh, all that we felt like God wanted us to say today, okay? Uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us for just a moment, all right? Let's pray. Father, we believe that you have tugged on our hearts today to be in this place. To be in your presence. To hear a word from you. To know fellowship with you and with one another. So we pray right now, Father, that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and a heart that is responsive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am wrapping up today a series of talks that we have uh, been basing upon the ancient story of David and Goliath. We've been talking about how to slay the giants that are in our lives, similarly to the giant that was in David's life. And there's a little obscure uh, reference in 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. We read that a few weeks ago. And I want to take us back there for just a moment because it tells us as David got ready to go out into the middle of the, the battlefield and face off with Goliath one-on-one. -on -one. That he stopped and stooped at a brook and he picked up five smooth stones. And of course, you know the rest of the story. He went out and he faced Goliath. He took a sling. He took one of those stones and he hurled that stone and with the help of God, strategically placed it in the forehead of Goliath and Goliath was felled and killed, and that giant was overcome, and Israel was liberated. Now, there has been a lot of speculation through the years. Why five stones? Did he not have enough faith to just pick up one stone and that God would take care of that for him? And one of the most often repeated speculations is that the reason David picked up five stones is because he knew Goliath had four brothers. And he was not only prepared to fell Goliath, but he was going to take on the whole family. Of course, it's speculation, but I love that story because it's been my experience, I think it's been your experience, that we don't have just one giant that we have to slay in our lives. We have multiple giants and they seem to all be related. They seem to be brothers. They seem to know each other well. And they seem to, in concert and harmony with one another, seek to overcome our lives. And so we've talked over these weeks about how to slay the financial giant. How to 
overcome and slay the relationship giant. Last week we talked about the personhood giant. All these guys are related. Have you noticed that? There's an overlap in how they come upon our lives. And today we're going to be talking about what I will call the little brother of the other giants. And the reason I referred to him as the little brother is because depending on how we contend with the other giants determines how strong or how uh, weak this fourth giant is that we're going to be talking about today. And I call him the fearsome giant, the giant of our fears. And depending on how you have contended with the other giants, determines how much fear or not you have in your life. So, for example, a number of years ago when I was in college, I'd been dating Sherry for about three years. And I felt like God was leading us to take our relationship to the next level. And I felt God stirring me to give my heart to her and to ask her to be my wife. Now, I was afraid of that. I had fears. I had tons of fears around the whole prospect of marriage, and it had absolutely nothing to do with Sherry. There was a lot of guys that would have liked to have been able to marry Sherry. So she was not the issue. The issue was me. And it really wasn't as much a fear about marriage as it was a fear about divorce. And I've told you my story before that, you know, my family of origin had a bitter divorce and a lot of fighting and a lot of angst and that whole thing. And I was really afraid of ever going down the marital road because I didn't want to go through a divorce. I didn't want to have a failed marriage. And besides that, I already believed God had called me to ministry. And I knew that if I couldn't have a marriage that succeeded, I'd be out of the ministry. And I didn't want that to happen. But nevertheless, uh, I worked through that, and I'll say more about that in a minute. And Sherry and I married, and we got off to a good start. And after a few years, it seemed like God was saying, I want you to have children. I want you to engage in the whole experience of parenthood. And as we uh, approach that, again, I was really afraid of that. It wasn't that I didn't love children. I did. It wasn't that I didn't want to have them in my life. I did, and I still do. Uh, and those aren't always the same. But the fact of the matter was, I had been a, a, a real rebel growing up. I had caused my mother awful, awful fits. And um, I'm glad that she's never been able to be around here to tell you some of those stories because they're, they're really, really sad. And it was very uh, unjust to her. And so, uh, you know, I figure what goes around comes around. And I sure didn't want to have children that would put me through what I put my mother through. Are you with me? And not only that, uh, I was really afraid that at some point uh, in my parenting, I might lose a child. I might have a child die. And you go, well, Scott, that's pretty morbid. I mean, I don't know that I ever thought about one of my children dying. But as I've shared before, I had a brother who passed away when I was uh, 12, and he was 10. And I saw what that did to my mother. I know what that did to me. And so I was terrified of that. I, I just didn't think I could survive if one of my children died. Obviously, I got married, and I had children. And, you, you know, the rest of the question is, so how did that happen? And, and what took place that God could bring you to such a point? That's what I want us to talk about today is how we slay that fearsome giant. But it's going to be very important for you 
to identify what that fearsome giant is for you. What are you afraid of? And I'm going to invite you to take uh, your program, take that connection card that you've already torn off, and I'm going to encourage you, write down what you think you're afraid of. Now, I know it's not very macho, it's not very, you know, strong-sounding to say, I'm afraid of whatever. But I think God wants to speak to you about that. I think He has something from the Scriptures that we're going to look at in just a second that is going to directly address and impact the things that feel fearsome to you. And I'm going to encourage you to write that down. It may be more than one. Some of you may be scared to be single and never marry your entire life. Or maybe you're single again and you wonder if you'll ever marry again. Can you be okay? Will it be well with you if you never marry? Are you afraid of that? Are you afraid of the loss that that brings to your life? Some of you are afraid of losing your marriage. Things are very difficult The hope light seems pretty dim. Some are afraid of not having children. Is that your fear? What about the children you have turning out badly? Is that a fear? What about the matter of not getting that job? Am I going to go bankrupt? Or am I going to lose the job that I've already got? What about my whole income, the whole career, the vocation, the making a living piece? And what about my retirement? I know some of you have just been clobbered over the last few weeks in your investments and in your retirement funds. Some of you have lost over the last year the most money you've ever lost in your life. Is that going to be okay? Will you survive that? And what about aging parents and the responsibilities that are or will be coming your way in caring for aging parents. What about that deal? What about losing your health? You're grappling with some symptoms. You've got a family history. Maybe you've got a pending diagnosis. Maybe you've already got that diagnosis. Will you be okay if your health fails? I may not even have mentioned what is fearsome to you, or there may be a combination of three or four of these, and I'll encourage you to write them down. Put them right there in front of you, and let God speak to you about whatever is fearsome to you. Reality check. Some of us today are more worried, more afraid, than we've ever been. Is that where you are? Some of us are hypochondriacs. I mean, all we have to do is look at the problem somebody else has got, and we're afraid that that problem is going to be our problem. Where are you with that? Let me just ask you three questions. This will help maybe bring a little clarity for us. The first is this. Has your being afraid and worrisome 
added a single hour to your life. The more you've worried, the more hours of life it's added to you. Or could it be the worry that you've gone through has actually taken some years off your life? What do you think? And maybe the thing you're worried about, that financial thing, that job thing, that health thing, that relationship thing, whatever that thing is, has it, has worry added to that thing being able to come to pass? That thing that's so important? Now, my guess is, just by raising those questions, you've been able to answer, no, worry doesn't add to my life. Yes, worry does take away from my life. No, worry doesn't help something come to pass. I think we're probably on the same page about that, so we could quit right now, right? I could just say, okay, you got it. Let's stop it. Any questions? But Jesus had a little bit more to say about it. And so I'm going to encourage you to see what Jesus had to say and to see if, in fact, it can address your worry and fears. It is, friends, absolutely possible to live a worry-free life. You say, how can that be? Because Jesus told us to have a worry-free life. And Jesus would not tell us to do something that would not be possible. Now, it's possible in His strength and in His power, but it is possible. So, here is the truth. Whatever you worry about, that is too important to you. You know, Scott, we're talking about my children. I know. And if you go to a point of worry, they're too important. We're talking about my health. I've got cancer. I understand. But if that takes you to a point of worry, it's too important. You go, how can you say such a thing? I didn't. That's what Jesus said. So let's take a more close look at what Jesus did, in fact, say. And as I uh, mentioned earlier, we'll be in the sixth chapter. And we're going to pick up at verse 25. And Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That he would not tell us not to worry about life unless that's possible. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And, of course, when he begins to talk about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, that really gets down to the basics of necessities, does it not? And to the audience to whom he was speaking in that day, a rural agrarian type of people, they pretty much lived hand to mouth, right? I mean, it literally was a situation they didn't know if they'd eat tomorrow or next week. Water was a real issue. They didn't know they'd have water to drink. How they'd be able to clothe or shelter themselves. I mean, that's a real hand-to-mouth kind of issue for them. If, if Jesus were speaking to us today in the 21st century, he might say, don't worry about your finances, about your relationships, 
about your children, about your retirement. Because isn't life more than those things? I mean, nobody in this room would say, yeah, food, drink, and clothing equal life. We wouldn't say that. We know that life is more than food, drink, and clothing. And so Jesus says, because life is more than that, consider this. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a little on the impatient side. I'm more of a bottom line guy. And I'm sitting there and Jesus is saying, Now, Brewer, I don't want you to worry. Okay, why? Well, think about the birds. I don't want to think about the birds. Tell me why I don't have to worry. I just want you to think about the birds. Do we have to look at birds right now? I mean, what's birds? I've got some real issues here. Are you with me? And Jesus says, just hang with me for a minute, okay? Consider these birds. Look at them. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Here it is, friends. Are they not much more va- are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You can't. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Now, when Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't have to work. They're not laboring and toiling and God takes care of them. Look at the, the flowers and the grass. Doesn't God make them beautiful? Doesn't God do something about that? You matter way more than that to Him. Don't worry. And when He says that, He's not talking about some kind of fatalism where all you have to sit back and, and do is sip a latte. Okay, I won't work. Okay, I won't labor. I won't toil. I won't uh, get at it in a uh, dedicated or energetic kind of way. I'll just sit back like birds and grass. Okay. Now, he's not talking about a fatalism where you just let what will be will be and you just kind of lay back. But he's more or less saying, do what you do and trust me. I mean, after all, birds go and grab a worm every now and then. They build a nest. At certain seasons of the year, they migrate. They go to other parts of the country. They do what they do, but I take care of them. Do what you do. Go to school. Study. Get equipped. Do a job. Earn a living. Do what you do, but trust me that I'll be there for you. That I will make a difference that I will care for you. Most of us would go, well, you know what? I know God can do that. 
I'm just not sure he will. I, I believe. I believe that God can do anything. I believe that God can totally take care of a person. I'm just not sure if he will take care of me. And so, friend, if you are in that state, that question helps to bring a little clarity to the picture. And your issue is trust. Your issue is faith. And that was the issue of those that stood before Jesus that day. That's why he called them little faithers. Very interesting word. Verse 30, he said, O you of, it's translated in English, O you of little faith. But in the Greek language, which it was originally written in, little faith is one word. And it doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It doesn't appear anywhere else in Greek literature. It's as if Jesus made up the word. You believe that happens? I've got a text I'm hanging on to here. Jesus made up words for appropriate situations. I might try that. <laughs> and so he makes up this word that basically says, Oh, you little faithers. You little faithers. You don't have much faith in God. You don't have much trust in Him. And that's not to be a condemnation. That's not to be a slam. That's not to try to put somebody down. Rather, Jesus wants to help us to see where we are and what we need in order to face and deal with the fearsome giants. Worry does not equal being responsible. Some of you are giving me a little pushback right now because to you, it has always felt like if I worried about this, that means I'm being responsible about it. If I worry about this, that means that I'm concerned. If I worry about this, that means that I, I care about this, that I'm going to try to be engaged and do something about it. Worry does not equal responsibility or concern or care. Worry equals lack of trust in God, lack of faith. Let's continue to look in Matthew 6. We'll pick it up in verse 31. Jesus says, So, you little faithers, do not worry, saying what we shall eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. Verse 32, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Please don't. Be little faithers, Jesus says, because the pagans are that way. They don't know God, and therefore they don't have any faith. But you claim to know God. Where is your faith? Let's have some faith. Now, friends, we are in fearsome times. We don't know what's going to happen on the global and national scene with respect to terrorism. The global or national scene with respect to the economy. The global or national scene with respect to a variety of deadly diseases that continue to hit one country after another. We don't know what's going to happen with 
the foundation structures of society like the family. I could go on and on. And if there's anybody in our world on this planet today that doesn't sit around, wring hands, fret, and worry about it, it should be those that know God. That can see God at work. Do you know that national and global economies have been wrecked before? And God was still on the throne? And God was at work in the middle of all that? Do you know there have been pandemics uh, nationally or globally before and God was still on the throne and God was at work in the midst of that? I could go on and on. He says, you're not pagans. You know God. Get to know Him even more so that you trust Him, so that you have faith in Him. Now, I want you to imagine that you go home and tonight, just before you go to bed, and, and you're turning out lights and so on like that, all of a sudden, there's this incredible manifestation in the room. I want you to imagine that God sent to you an angel. And this angel begins to manifest before you, and there's this like glowing radiance all about the angel, and the angel says to you, I have a word from God for you. And you're all ears. And the angel says, God knows everything going on in you. Now, is that comforting to you? I suspect for many it's not. Okay, so he knows. What's he doing about it? What will he do about it? I'm still in this blank situation. You fill in the blank. Friends, God is either good or He's not. He either purposes to bless you, care for you, embrace you, provide and guide you, Or he's not good and he plays favorites. He'll do it for a few and he won't do it for some others. And you go, well, I suspect God's good. I mean, that's the kind of things I've been hearing in church for a long time that I've seen in the Bible for a long time. I just would like a little bit of demonstration right now. Faith. Trust. Because you see, friends, whether or not God works in you or around you to impact your circumstances the way you want your circumstances to happen is not an indicator of His love or His intentions to bless you at all. It's not an indicator. Because somebody's got great circumstances doesn't mean the blessing of God is on them. Because somebody has awful circumstances doesn't mean the curse of God is on them. God is way beyond the circumstances. Let me wrap it up with this. Verse 33. 
And Jesus says, here's, here's what you've got to do, friends. If you're going to stop being little faithers, if you're not going to be pagan-like, if you're going to begin to trust God and stop worrying, then seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Seek first God. Because you see, what we're looking at is not a defective God. What we're looking at is a misplaced devotion. I said it a moment ago, and let me elaborate now. If something stirs in you to the point of worry, that thing is too important. I don't care if we're talking about a spouse, if we're talking about children, if we're talking about your health, if we're talking about your finances... I don't care what we're talking about. If it brings you to a point of worry, it's too important. You see, your heart is where your devotion is. Whatever you're devoted to, that's got your heart. And if I'm worried about my kids, they have my heart. If I'm worried about my job, my finances, they've got my heart. If I'm worried about my health, it has my heart. And the Bible says, Jesus is declaring, the only thing, the only one that is worthy of having your heart, of having your devotion, is God. You give God your heart. You give God your first love. You give God your devotion. And how does the rest of the verse conclude? And all these things will be added to you. He will be there for you. But He must be your first devotion. You don't stop worrying by trying to stop. You stop worrying by transferring your devotion from something else to God. Let me say it one more time. You don't stop worrying by trying to stop worrying. You stop worrying by transferring your devotion from something else to God. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I talked to you earlier about my fears around getting married and around having children. Those things had become too big. To me. And here's what happened. As I continue to pray and pursue God about whether or not I should marry Sherry, and I had that confidence and that sense that that's what he wanted me to do, at that point I had a choice. I either believe God and embrace God's will for my life and go in that direction, or I choose a less risky, and for me at that time it was staying single, option. This had nothing to do with Sherry. It has everything to do with me. And at that point, it came down to an issue of, will I esteem God first and my devotion to Him or some lesser risky uh, option? Are you following me? Now you're going, Scott, that sounds pitifully unromantic. Where's the devotion towards Sherry? And all I can tell you is I love the girl, wanted to, to marry her, wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I was just scared to. And it was only because, for me, because that was my giant. 
that my devotion to God outweighed my fears, that I took the step to the marital altar. Are you with me? That's the only reason I had children. I had to come to a point where I said, okay, God, if you give me a child, I will do my best to pray for that child, to sacrifice for that child, to train that child, to encourage and to coach and and to lead that child in the way of God. I'll do all I can about that. But ultimately, it's out of my hands. And if my child goes to drugs or goes crazy and does all this rebellious stuff or gets a girl pregnant or whatever, I will continue to trust you that you're good. And my devotion outweighed, my devotion to God outweighed my fears about parenthood, and I took that step. Are you following me? That's the way it is with my health. If I get a life-threatening diagnosis, I don't know if God will heal me or not. He might and thank Him. He might not and thank Him. Why? Because He's good. There's some high holy purpose, whether I am delivered from it or whether I learn to die well with it. There's a high holy purpose to it. And you say, how do you know that? Because I know Him. I have a relationship that I have been building with Him for 35 years. I don't know that because of somebody else's testimony or theory. Those things help me. But I know that experientially because I built this relationship with Him. I know who He is. I know what He's like. So, last verse, verse 34. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus just closes it with this. He says, okay, this whole thing about little faithers growing to have faith and trust in God, you don't have to have enough faith in Him today to last your lifetime. I don't know what five years is going to look like, five years from now is going to look like. I don't know what ten years from now is going to look like. Jesus said, you just have to have enough faith for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just do this thing with God one day at a time. Just have enough faith for today. Trust Him today. And when tomorrow gets here, trust Him on that day. So let me conclude with this. Will you make a choice to trust? It's a choice. I'm going to choose to go in the direction of trusting God. Will you grow that trust, develop that trust, build that trust through relationship? That's the only way you get there. Be with Him in prayer, in the Scripture readings, in fellowship with other believers, and so on. You know, we talk about those things all the time. Be with Him. Will you investigate His trustworthiness in others? That's why we started with David and Goliath. We were examining how God dealt with David. That's what all the Scripture stories are about. Allowing you to investigate how God has been with people throughout all time. 
That's why in church we continue to do testimonies up here so that you can see. You get a behind-the-scenes look at how God's interacting with that person. Keep investigating how God deals with people so that you get more uh, revelation about how He will deal with you. Choose to trust Him. Grow that trust in relationship. Investigate His trustworthiness with others. Seek Him first. Begin to, to move your life and position your life so that He becomes your first love, your first devotion. You go, there's just something weird about that, Scott, if you're telling me that I'm supposed to have God before my wife or God before my husband or God before my children. Friend, you can't love your spouse or your children well until God's first. He's the author of love. You think you're doing a good job with it right now, then put Him first and see what happens. Take it to another whole level. And do it. One. Day at a time. And what have you got written on that connection card? What's the fearsome stuff? Maybe you have some representation of your fear with you today. You probably have a wallet or a checkbook with you. And if you have a fear around finances, I'm going to invite you to take that wallet or that checkbook and hold it before the Lord. Maybe your fear is around some family member. You've got a picture of them with you. I'm going to encourage you to take that picture and hold it before the Lord. Maybe it has to do with your marriage. You're wearing your wedding ring. Maybe you just want to hold that ring before the Lord. Maybe you're single and you're fearful about whether you ever will marry. Maybe you want to hold that empty ring finger before the Lord. Maybe it's a health situation. You got a bottle of pills in your pocket or in your bag. Hold that before the Lord or hold on to your heart before the Lord. I'm going to invite you into a step of trust. And I'm encouraging you to take a little action step. You don't have to do that. You don't have to think about birds, grass, and flowers. Do little object lessons. However, if you have a trust issue... If you're a little faither, I'd be trying something. Let's bow together for prayer. I'm going to pray for you. And then Jerry is going to sing for just a minute. And that whole time is about you giving to God whatever your fears are around as an act of trust. So God, this fearful giant, this, this thing keeps grabbing me by the neck. It keeps choking me. 
I keep going back and worrying. I try not to worry, and then I go back and worry, and I try not to worry, and I go back and worry. God, I need your help to break that awful cycle in my life. I need for you to be bigger in my life and those things to be smaller in my life. Oh, God, this thing that I'm holding before you right now, I'm holding it before you. I'm confessing this is a fearsome thing to me. I want to trust you about it. I want to believe in you about it. I want to have confidence in you about this thing. Lord, I'm seeking you first. I want you to take my heart, grab it, and help my devotion, my emotion to be wrapped around you. And I I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm not asking you just out of my own heart. I'm asking you out of the life and death of Jesus. Would you do this about this fearsome giant in my life? In Jesus' name. Amen.